chapter. If you've got a Bible with you, if you can turn to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, we're going to be spending some time there as this morning we're going to be bringing our identity series to a close. So over the last nine weeks, well including this week, it would be nine weeks where we've been exploring some of the truths of who we are in Jesus. The fundamental truths of our identity that changes when we come to know Jesus of who we are in him. And next week, we're going to be moving into December. And as we do so, we're going to be starting a new series. And it's going to be an Advent series that we've called Come, Let Us Adore Him. And it's a chance for us to get ourselves ready, to prepare, to look ahead to Christmas. Now, uh, I'm aware that every kind of household, every family has their own traditions, really, in terms of when they start to prepare for Christmas, how they start to prepare. For some, I'm thinking like in terms of... uh, when the decorations go up or when the tree goes up or when it's permissible, when you're allowed to start listening to Christmas music. And for some, it might be that we don't do any of that until December comes along, or there might be a certain date in December where we start to start that process. I've kind of become aware, actually, particularly in lockdown, it seems that people have started into November. There's a lot that people have been doing in November in terms of decorations and that sort of thing. And completely, completely understandable. As a a family, we've actually watched quite a few Christmas themed films in November. We're not going to apologise for it. We quite enjoyed them, uh, but we felt we'd treat ourselves to that. Uh, But there is that that sense isn't there of that time of preparation and it was a few weeks ago now I can't remember if it was the beginning of November maybe the end of October where we asked you to let us know what your three favorite Christmas carols were maybe you remember when we did that as we were looking to have our say as to what songs we might be able to sing as part of the carols not in the marketplace this year carols not in the marketplace Uh, and we wanted to know which songs you would like to do as part of that and I was a little bit disappointed that Calypso Carol didn't come in higher than it did it was definitely my favorite particularly in primary school um, but one of the three that did come through as the top three it might even have been the most popular one was Hark the Herald Angels Sing and the first verse of Hark the Herald goes like this it says Hark the Herald Angels Sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled. And in that first verse of that song is a proclamation that is at the very heart of the gospel. What I mean by that is that right at the very heart of the gospel is reconciliation. And so it's kind of timely, perhaps kind of fitting, that as we are about to enter into a month, enter into a season where for many of us, if not all of us at some point, are going to be singing that song, declaring a song of reconciliation. Actually, as we come to finish our series looking at identity, it's actually the, the, the last thing in terms of our identity that we're looking at relates to reconciliation. So actually it's fitted really nicely together and fitted well there. So uh, we're going to turn, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. We're going to start from verse 16. And hopefully as we read this through, you'll see this theme of reconciliation coming through. And then we'll think a little bit, a little bit more about what Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to say about it. So 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, as I've said, it might not come as a, as a surprise to you that the last of the truths that we're looking at in this identity series relates to reconciliation. And the last truth we wanted to share with you and explore today is that in Jesus, we are ministers of reconciliation for God. So my plan for this morning, what I want to do in the time I have left, is we're going to spend some time exploring reconciliation, what it means for us to be ministers of reconciliation. And then I want to pose two questions to us, two questions for us to consider that I hope will, um, will be helpful as we really seek to press into this call that we have, into this truth of our identity to be ministers of reconciliation. So what do we mean? by reconciliation. I think at a foundational level, a way that's helpful for us to understand, reconciliation is about bringing, it's about bringing together, bringing things together that once were apart could be a helpful way for us to think about it. And particularly relationally, when we're talking about reconciliation, we're talking about restoration of broken relationships, where relationships have been fractured and broken. It's seeing them restored. And that is very much the way in which the Bible uh, speaks about and shows us what reconciliation is to be. It shows us that it is a relation, there's a relational dynamic, a relational aspect to it, where once there was conflict and hostility, in their place now comes peace. And I mentioned, I've said it earlier, and I'm likely going kind to of say it again through the rest of the time this morning. Reconciliation is, that, is really at the heart of the gospel. We see that right through throughout scripture. We see reconciliation as a running thing. But we see really for Paul, Paul clearly understood that reconciliation was at the heart of the gospel. In those verses that we've just read together, it, within two verses, he mentions being reconciled, reconciling, reconciliation, variation thereof five times in a couple of verses. This is clearly what Paul is wanting to convey to the church in Corinth. This is clearly what Paul is wanting to convey to us. But not just in this letter here, this theme of reconciliation and with it being at the heart of the heart of the gospel is something we see elsewhere in Paul's writing. One of those elsewheres we find in Romans chapter five. I'm just going to read some verses because this just helps us to understand why actually is there even a need for reconciliation. And so in Romans five from verse six, Paul writes this. He says that for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare, to, would dare to, even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul understood this. There was a need relationally for us to be reconciled to God. And it's not just that we, there's, between us and God, there was a, a difference of opinions, not quite seeing eye to eye, thinking, well, God, I know this is the way that you would call me to live, but actually, I'm not quite sure I agree with that. Just, I'm just going to keep this bit to myself. Or actually, God, I know that you've called me to love you and, and for you to have kind of first place in my heart and in my life. But there are, there are other things that, you know, probably come in a little bit higher than you. It's not really a case of being like, oh, we're just not quite seeing eye to eye here. And the language that Paul uses and the word that Paul uses is really strong. And perhaps we might even find it a little bit, I don't know, offensive or might seem quite harsh. But Paul actually says we, at one time we were all enemies of God. That's the language he uses. That's where we were. And all of us were created in God's image for relationship with him, to enjoy relationship. That's why God made us. And yet we all have found ourselves far from God, living in rebellion. Maybe, and maybe this is your, your experience, is that actually you weren't even, not even aware, not even realising that that was what you were doing. And yet, as Paul tells us, reconciliation is now possible. That broken relationship can now be restored, but it's not something that you have to earn. It is something that is received. What a wonderful message. And you kind of think, well, how can that be true? Paul tells us if we jump back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we were to start with, we read this in verse 20 because he tells us how it is possible. And really what we see here is an explanation of what happened when Jesus went to the cross. Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is a great, helpful, wonderful summary of what Jesus did on the cross. You see, at that point, God the Father made Christ to be regarded and treated as sin, even though he never sinned. It didn't say that Jesus sinned. It said that he became, he was made sin. And because of that, God regarded and treated our sin as if it belonged not to us, but to Jesus. Sometimes if you're hearing this explained, you might hear the word imputed or imputes. Essentially what that word means is that if something is assigned to someone or uh, attributed to someone else, and that's a really helpful way for us to understand what happened on the cross. You see, just as God imputed or attributed our sin and guilt to Christ, so he also imputes the righteousness of Jesus to all who believe in Christ. This is good news. Amen. It, another way of looking at it is, is an it's an exchange that takes place. What is true of us and our condition in the, the guilt and, and sin that was ours, we, we've exchanged that, if you like. Jesus has taken that upon himself and in its place has given us his righteousness. See, forgiveness and righteousness are not, they don't come out of us from the inside out. They're not given, uh, sorry, they are not from inside out, but they are given to us. 
here's the wonderful thing. So, well, that's a wonderful thing in and of itself. But here's, a, here's an aspect of it that's really wonderful, is that we, it wasn't even that we met God in the middle. We didn't say, God, I'm going to concede some ground here, uh, and maybe you can concede some ground, and between us we'll find a way through this. Let, let's meet in the middle here. That is not at all how it happened. Because in sending his son, Jesus, he moved towards us. Paul knew this. We read that uh, in, um, in, in the, Romans chapter, uh, the passage from Romans that we just read. He said, while we were still weak, while we were unable to do anything, while we were unable to change the situation in which we found ourselves, while we were unable to change the condition of our hearts, while we were unable to restore that relationship that was broken, while we were still weak, what happened? Jesus died for us. He moved towards us. All we ever did was receive it. Ray Auckland, when speaking about reconciliation, he says that reconciliation crosses distances, overcomes hostility, opens access, melts indifference and cultivates peace. Let me read that to you again. Reconciliation crosses distances, overcomes hostility, opens access, melts indifference and cultivates peace. That is what God has done for us. That is what God has made possible for, for us through Jesus. And Ray Altland goes on in that little quote I read. He continues, what could be more relevant in our angry and divided world today than this message and proclamation of reconciliation? And this is a message that needs to be heard. Which is why Paul says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It was a couple of, uh, a few weeks ago, I think when I last spoke, and we were looking at how in Christ we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in those verses, Paul says to Timothy, he says, you have been saved and you have been called. So God saves us, but he also calls us for a purpose. There is something for us to do, having been saved. And that's really what Paul is saying here. You have been saved. You have been reconciled to God. And because you have been reconciled, you've also been called. There's been a message of reconciliation that has been entrusted to you. You have been given something. If you entrust something to someone, it's not that you just give it to someone. Actually, there's a responsibility that they will do something with what they have been given. That's what it means to entrust something to someone. And what use is a message if it doesn't get heard? Surely the whole purpose and point of a message is that it needs to be heard. And so we've been saved, we've been reconciled, but we've also been entrusted with a message of reconciliation that needs to be heard. And we are the ones that God has called to partner with him in making that message known. And he uses, he goes on and he uses this image of ambassadors. He says, you are ambassadors for Christ. I don't know about you. When I was younger, my idea of what an ambassador was was shaped massively by an advert for Ferrero Rocher. Does anyone remember this? And he, this ambassador is throwing this lavish party and all is going well. And then 
apparently to take a party up to the next level, you need to bring in a tray of Ferrero Rocher. If you've done that, you're onto a winner. And I don't know if anyone else remembers this, uh, but at that point, someone says, Ambassador, with these Ferrero Rocher, you're really spoiling us. And for me, that was kind of my understanding of an ambassador, someone that threw good parties and, and entertained. But that's not really what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a representative. An ambassador, as Paul understood it to be, and in terms of the imagery that Paul was trying to convey, is that an ambassador is a representative of a kingdom or a nation stationed in a foreign land. And that is true of us. When we come to put our faith in Christ, who is our king? Jesus is our king. We belong to a different kingdom. We've moved from one kingdom to another. And yet God has called us still here to live on earth. But it means, if you like, in terms of what it is to be an ambassador, we are, rep um, we are representatives of God's kingdom, but stationed in a foreign land. I heard it put like this. We represent the foreign power of the kingdom of God. Just maybe as a little aside, I don't want to say too much on this, but something that I think is worth that we need to hear. I'm going to say this. Don't make this world your home. Don't make this world your home where everything that you live for is based in terms of the physical life that we live now. Seek first the kingdom of God because we are his ambassadors of that kingdom in a foreign land. And ambassadors, they exist to deliver a message. And so this message of reconciliation that we have been given, we don't leave it undelivered. If we leave it undelivered, then we've not done what we have been called to do. In preparation for this morning, I was kind of exploring a little bit in terms of what ambassadors are and what ambassadors do. And one of the cornerstones of diplomatic mission, one of the cornerstones of what ambassadors are called to do is working for peace. That is what they are called to do. And I think that's really helpful for us to remember as ambassadors for Christ, we have been called to work for peace. That passage from Romans that we were in just a moment ago, if I'd started at the beginning of the chapter, Romans 5 verse 1, Paul says this, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this message of reconciliation is about people finding peace with God. People finding peace with God. So as ambassadors for Christ, we are working for peace. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. What is this message then that we have to proclaim? Paul tells us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is the message that has been entrusted to us. That is the message that we are to make known and as his ambassadors, as those who are working for peace, for the sake of God's kingdom, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here's that truth again about who we are in Jesus. In Jesus, we are ministers of reconciliation for God. I'm going to pose these two questions now. I feel they're going to be provocative. I think that's okay because I think we need to be provoked. I think we need to be challenged, but I think it will do us good 
I think it will be helpful for us. The first question I want to ask us is this. As a minister of reconciliation, what lens are you looking through? I'm going to need to kind of unpack that a little bit because maybe it's not so clear what I mean by that. But where this is coming from really is from verse 16. And in verse 16, Paul says that from now on, we are to regard no one according to the flesh. What that means is that we're to re- not to regard people according to worldly standards or values that come about from living as if your present physical life is all that matters. We can do that. We can view people with, with that view according to worldly standards and values. Paul says, actually, we're not meant to do that. Don't view people like that. As I was preparing for this morning, I came across um, a talk by someone called Max Stiles. He's an American guy who uh, now pastors a church in Iraq, I believe. And a lot of what I'm going to share now comes out of what, what he shared. But I found it very helpful for me. I just want to share it with you because he talks about what, or he asked the question, what lenses are we viewing people through? Because we need to be aware that we actually all view people through various lenses, whether we mean to or not, whether it's intentional or not. And, it's, and we need to know that because sometimes we need to ask ourselves, are the lenses in which we're viewing people through the right lenses? Or are they unhelpful? Perhaps even sinful? You see, we can view people through lenses that are shaped by the media. And whether that's in terms of how we view individuals or whole groups or whole nations, a lot of what we, we, we see a lot, don't we, in the media? And a lot of that will shape the, the lens through which we view people. We also view people through lenses from our background and upbringing. And again, oftentimes they're things that we're not conscious of. They're not decisions that we are consciously making. It's just they're the things that shape us, don't they? And we take these things on, even if we mean to or not, we can take them on. Or we can look through a lens of out of our experience. Our experiences can shape the way we see and understand and view people to be. But we have to be aware that not all of these lenses are helpful. Actually, some of these lenses can be very harmful in terms of the way that we view people. So we just need to ask ourselves the question, what lens are we looking through? Max Stiles, he said this, and I absolutely agree with this. He says that we reject sinful racist and worldly views of people we have to we have to as god's people reject sinful racist and worldly views of people they are not compatible with how god sees us they are not compatible with how god has called us to be and we need to be ruthless with them otherwise we will not love people well not only that we will find ourselves deciding who is more worthy or deserving of our time, of our attention, of our care, of justice, of love, of the gospel. And we, we, what can happen is, again, even if we mean to or not, we can elevate some while diminishing others. And that can happen. And we need the Holy Spirit's help daily to help us view people correctly. We really do. We need God's help. We need Holy Spirit's help that we would view people correctly, that we would see people the way that God sees them, according to the way that God has called us to view them. But we can also view people through a lens that says, do you know what, they'll never come to Christ. They're they're too distant. There's just too much in in the way. They're, They're too hardened to it. That will never happen. Or 
we can look at people and they seem to they seem to have it all in it from a worldly perspective they seem to have everything that we could ever need and it might appear that they don't need christ and at that point we can decide that we have nothing to offer we can we can look through that lens but we need to understand just as paul did when actually we, we, we don't view people according to the flesh, we don't view people according to the world, we understand all people to be enemies of God, as we ourselves once were. That's the reality. That's where we all stand. Isn't that true? That's the condition we all stand in, really, before God. But here's good news. Because Paul actually gives us, if you like, the corrective lenses through which we are to see people. We see it in verse 17, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what I mean when I say they're kind of the corrective lenses for us is that when we view people like that, we see the potential of what people can become. And what the gospel tells us that people can become is that fallen enemies of God can become new creations. That is how we should view everyone. The potential of what they can become in Christ. See, we're not brand ambassadors. Brand ambassadors would be quite selective and picky. Who do we want to represent our brand? Who do we think fits with our particular brand and can get quite divisive when we start to think, well, these people are worthy of it and these people kind of reflect it well. We're not brand ambassadors. We're not selling a product here. We are ambassadors for Christ. And so I want to ask you again, what lens are you looking through? And are there views that you need to reject? And then quickly, my final question is, as ministers of reconciliation, are you pursuing reconciliation? Now, this isn't a trick question. I'm not trying to be clever here. You might be thinking, but hang on, we've just heard that when we're reconciled to God, it's not anything that we have done. God moved to us first. We didn't meet in the middle in a way we haven't pursued him in that. And that is absolutely right. But what I mean by this question is that reconciliation with God moves us into our hostilities towards, sorry, Reconciliation with God moves into our hostilities towards with one another. Another way of putting it is that our reconciliation with God leads to reconciliation with one another, where we are pursuing peace with one another. It changes us so that we pursue peace with each other. A few months ago, we were working through a series, weren't we, where we were looking at John chapter, some chapters in John, and um, and in John 17. Jesus's prayer to, to God the Father is that his followers would be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. We see that it's God's heart that, uh, that, that the church is to be, be seen as, as, as a community and, and a place of love and a place of unity. And in doing so, Jesus says, actually, if, if my followers behave like this, then the world will, will know who they belong to. There's a witness, isn't there, in the way that we are with one another in terms of unity and love that shows the world whose we are. Let me just read that Ray Ortland quote again to you, because when we were looking at it first time, it was in the context of what reconciliation with God means. But I want you to think about this now and listen to it in terms of what it means for reconciliation with one another. Reconciliation crosses distances. 
it overcomes hostilities, it opens access, it melts indifference, and it cultivates peace. That is what reconciliation does when we're thinking about it in terms of the relationships that we have with one another. You see, as ambassadors for Christ, we are working for peace, not just in the message we proclaim, but in our pursuit of peace and reconciliation with others. We've missed something. Something doesn't match up if we are speaking or preaching a message of reconciliation. But if we're not actually living it out in our relationships with one another, it doesn't match up, does it? And what does that look like to a world who is looking to see what difference does this message make? If we are ministers of reconciliation, it can't just be about the words that we speak. It has to show itself in the lives that we live and the way in which we engage, not just with God, but with one another as well. We can minister reconciliation through the way that we are together, through pursuing reconciliation and peace with one another. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing this in the context of how God has united both Jews and Gentiles, how whatever barriers were there before, God has made a way. Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses from verse 14. So it's into that context that Paul says this. He says that for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. So and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. You see, God is the only one who can destroy the walls that separate people. We've all been reconciled to him on the same terms. I was not reconciled to God on different terms than anyone else. We've all been reconciled on the same terms. It's all a work of God. It's all a gift of grace that we have received. Nothing that we've earned. We've all come to him on the same terms. We were all enemies of God at one time. While we were still weak, Christ died for us. I mentioned Ray Auckland a few times. He also said that in the churches where this new peace reigns, God's presence is tangibly felt in the midst of such a world of division as ours. Gospel doctrine must create gospel culture. If we would say that we hold to a doctrine of reconciliation, then we have to have a culture that matches that, that we have a culture of reconciliation where we pursue peace and reconciliation and unity and love with one another as well. We must ask ourselves some hard questions. Are you ready for these hard questions? I'm going to say them anyway. And I'm asking myself these questions as much as I'm asking you. Who are we avoiding? Who might we owe an apology to? Whose presence makes us feel awkward because of some painful history? What do I need to confess before reconciliation can happen? I think there are more questions around that that we could ask, but I think that's a good starting place for us. 
And I think they're questions that we need to be asking ourselves and asking ourselves often. Here's the thing, as we think upon those questions, we trust that God will give us the answers, that we'll get the answers that we need. But sometimes it's hard to know what then do I do in terms of what is the next step here? I'll say if you're not sure what it is, please do speak to maybe your growth group leaders, see if they can help you through it. Come to one of the eldership team. Let us share that with you and talk that through in terms of what the, the next steps would be in terms of seeing reconciliation happen. But we must be those who pursue reconciliation with one another. Why would we withhold from other people what God has given so freely to us? God has not only reconciled us to himself, but given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, over the next few weeks, we're probably going to sing a few times, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. But that is not a message that is just for the season of Advent. It is not just a message that is for the season of Christmas. That is the message that we have been entrusted with. The message we have for the world is we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I'm going to pray for us. And then I just want, there's a few things by way of response. I think it'd be helpful for us while we're together just to have a chance to work through. Uh, But let's pray, shall we? I'm going to pray, but just where you are, maybe you want to just express your heart to God, what you're feeling in this place, having heard what we just had. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the gospel. We thank you for the realisation of reconciliation. Lord, we thank you that while we were weak, while we were far off, you didn't wait for us to meet you halfway, but you came to us in Jesus. You came to us. You moved first. You moved towards us Lord thank you I don't understand how but I'm so grateful that what was true of us what was rightfully ours in terms of our sin and our guilt you you took that and you laid that upon Jesus and in its place you have attributed to us the righteousness of Jesus that we would know reconciliation with you Lord that relationship with you was fractured beyond anything that we could ever seek to resolve ourselves yet in Jesus we have been restored into relationship with you and we thank you once again that we are recipients of that reconciliation and Lord we pray that you would help us now to take that call to be ministers of reconciliation, to take it seriously, but Lord, to take it joyfully. What a privilege we have, Lord, that the message that we ourselves have received, that message that has transformed our lives, you've entrusted to us, that we would be those uh, that, that, that are working for peace in this world, that there are those who haven't yet heard that message, and yet you've called us to be those. That, uh, that, that make it known, not just through word, but through the way we live our lives. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Help us to view people through the right lens. 
Help us to be those who pursue reconciliation with one another, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.